Our scripture today is taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. This is my first Sunday preaching as a 40-year-old. And I threw my back out yesterday. So not only did I go over the hill, I broke my back on the way over. Um, I, I tend to like throw out my back once every decade. I did it when I was about 21 years old, 22. I did it when I was about 30. I think I, I did it exactly the year, the month I turned 30. And, and here we go, 10 years later, I break my back again. Um, so isn't this fun? I'm going to try and preach while sitting down if I can manage it. If I get too excited, I may stand up again. And uh, we'll just make this work. Okay, so let's begin this way. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What do you think about that? You see verses like that in the Bible, what do you, honestly, I'm asking you, what do you think about that? You're in trouble. If that's true, you're in trouble. What do you think about God's holiness? Or what do you think when he says to you, hey, you should be holy? What's going on in your mind when you see stuff like that? seems like such a big task. How, how in the world are you supposed to do that? Yeah. <laughs> wow. How does that even work? Yeah. How could you even be without sin? Yeah. Thank God I know who is holy. Good. Okay. And we're going to get, we're going to talk more about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe that was just for the Christians living in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago, but certainly not for me, Peter. Glad Peter's not staring at me right now. Over here, yeah. You, it, reading this makes you think of repentance. Okay. 
That's a big word, repentance. Okay, we're going to talk about that too. Good, good thoughts. Being holy has more to do with identity than with behavior. Being holy has more to do with what you believe about yourself than what you think you ought to be doing. You could sum up everything that Peter is saying in this passage uh, by simply saying these words, act different because you are different. This is so cool. I just swiveled 360 degrees in this chair, and I don't have the ability to make my head do that while I'm speaking. That is so cool. I'm going to just keep doing that because I can't really turn my back, so I'll just spin around. This is awesome. So, for redeemed exiles, because that's what Peter calls you. If you're a Christian, this world is not your home. You're a refugee here. You just read the, the last uh, 12 verses, the first 12 verses of First Peter. For the redeemed exile, holiness is this. Holiness is the reality that because of God, there is a new you. And through the work of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, this new you has been given access to a new way of life. The new you has new access to a new way of life. And as a matter of fact, for survival here, it is the only way. The new way for the new you is the only way to survive in a place where you're in exile, where you're a stranger. The new you, Peter is saying, needs to understand something. You need to realize something. What you need to know is that the indicative motivates the imperative. That's, this is not a grammar lesson. But let me say this. The indicative is just the way things are. When you think back to learning a language, the indicative is the way things are. The imperative is what needs to happen, what should be done. The indicative is when we walk in here, when the setup team walks in here at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning, there's a disco ball hanging right there, right in, front of, right in front of where the projector is right now. That's the indicative. The imperative is if we're going to worship in here, we must take it down. The, the indicative is that I'm a big hockey fan. It's, it's hockey playoffs right now for professional hockey. The indicative is that I'm a huge hockey fan and I'm a really big New York Rangers fan. Um, and so I must watch the playoffs. That's the imperative. The indicative is I'm a hockey fan. The imperative is I must watch the playoffs. The indicative is the New York Rangers just got kicked out of the playoffs last night by the Pittsburgh Penguins. The imperative is I must weep and mourn in sorrow and throw out my back in the process. So the indicative is what is true. The imperative is what you should do. Okay? What is true motivates what we should do. Or another way of saying it is who we are inspires what we do. Finally, identity dictates behavior. Behavior can't change who you are, but who you are will dictate your behavior. Now, let's see what Peter actually has to say about this. If you look in your passage at verse 13, 
Peter begins with the word therefore. Now in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, when you see the word therefore, that's a big deal. The word therefore is loaded. It means that everything you saw before the word therefore motivates everything you read after the word therefore. Therefore, in verse 13, draws attention to everything Peter said up until this point, the first 12 verses. And what has Peter told us? We've in the last three Sundays, we've looked at the first 12 verses. Peter has told Christians that because of the foreknowledge of God, that God has always known them, uh, that they are who they are. God has known them. God is sanctifying them. He's setting them apart and equipping them to be his agents here in this strange place. And that the blood of Jesus covers us. The blood of Jesus sanctifies uh, Uh, justifies us and protects us. Peter went on to say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has caused you to be born again into a living hope. Peter has said that because of Jesus Christ, you have an imperishable inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you by God until Jesus returns. Because of God's work, you are who you are. That's the first 12 verses. This is your new identity. New identity. This is the indicative. This is the truth, the facts, the way things are. The Apostle Paul, and you read this earlier, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul talked this way also. If you read Paul's letters, you'll find the word therefore right in the middle of his letter. Okay? And that therefore means, okay, everything that is true, now you're going to use it as the basis for how to live your life. That's the basis for your behavior. And at one point, Paul actually says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes into a list of all unrighteous things, all things that are against God's design as our good creator. And and he doesn't just single any sin out. He doesn't single any lifestyle or behavior out. He throws everybody in. I'm in that list in so many different categories. It's sad. I'm in that list. And he says, this is... What some of you were, he goes on to say, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Paul is saying that is the way things are. That's the indicative. Now, in verse 14, Peter calls Christians obedient children. Because all of this is true. Live your life here. Like obedient children. We sent our younger son off for the weekend to go to a baseball tournament in Pennsylvania. And one of the things you say to your kid when when they leave your your presence uh, for several days to go be with other people, you you say to them, now listen, remember how we raised you. You're going to be with other people in another place. Remember what's important. Remember the principles. Don't embarrass us while you're out there. People know you come from us. You represent the family name. Make good decisions. Remember Jesus. Remember what we've told you. And this litany goes on and on. Anytime any of the kids go out for an extended period of time. Remember who you are. We've put a lot into you. Remember who you are. And that's really what Peter is saying. Since God has adopted you as his son. As his daughter. As a stranger in this place, act like you belong to him. 
Act like you belong to the family, is what Peter is saying. So holiness, we get freaked out and scared by the word holy. But honestly, this is what it means. That the new you acts like a son. The new you acts like a daughter of your heavenly father. In a strange place that is not your home, you act like you belong to him. Even though you can't see him. The scholar Edmund Clowney once said, The indicative of what God has done for us and in us precedes the imperative of what we are called to do for him. There it is. So what should the new person, the new you, be doing? What is the new person called to do? Well, Peter's going to get into that for the rest of his letter. But for today, there's a new way of survival tactics. When you're out there in the wilderness, when you're out there in the chaos, when you're trying to make it on your own or with a group of people in a difficult situation, you learn habits, you learn survival habits, and you stick with what you know. When conflict hits, when crisis hits, when disaster strikes, everybody in your family or everybody in your office or everybody in your class, everybody goes to their default patterns. Everybody goes to what they know best in how to survive in a difficult place. The new you needs to learn a new set of survival tactics if you're going to survive out there. So Peter says in verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of verbs in this passage, but this is the big one. This is the controlling verb that controls all the other verbs. Set your hope fully on what's going to happen to you when your Jesus comes back. Because you belong to Jesus, focus on his return. Focus on what he's preparing for you when he comes back. That's what this means. Now, how do you do that? How do you... How do you set your hope fully on someone you can't see? How do you set your hope fully on something you fully don't understand, but is absolutely being prepared for you? Well, Peter says a few things. He says, you set your hope, you focus on Jesus's return for you by preparing your minds for action. Prepare your mind for action, literally in the original language. It's an awkward phrase. It reads like this, gird up the loins of your mind. There's an interesting one for you. So the, ancient, the ancients wore like robes and togas and stuff like that, right? If you're wearing a robe and you need to move quickly into action, you know, run or save somebody out of a burning building or, or lift a cart because it's crushing your animal, you need to tuck your robes into your belt or, or you're not going to be able to get anywhere. Oh, the Scots... They were perfect in how they set up the kilt because it's like, it's like a robe or a toga, but you can just do whatever you want. It never gets in your way. But the ancients had these long garments. You don't, don't, that's kind of funny, don't you think? Um, it's, the ancients had these long garments. And if they were going to get to action quickly, they had to tuck their garments into their belts so that they can move without tripping over themselves. So Peter is saying, and, and you would say, gird up your loins. That's what it meant. Peter is saying, gird up the loins of your mind. So there's uh, an author named Carol Ruvolo. She has a really good little commentary on First and Second Peter. She said the best way to interpret that passage, 
that phrase, according to our, 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 our lingo today, is roll up the sleeves of your mind. That's what Peter is saying. The way you stay focused in this world is you roll up the sleeves of your mind. You prepare your mind to get busy. You prepare your mind to take action. He also says you do this by being sober-minded. And what he means there is you want to be the opposite of, of intoxication. You want to be the opposite of being intoxicated by this world and the things in this world and the ideas and the priorities that this world thinks are important. You have to make sure you're not intoxicated by the next best thing, by what's popular, by what's easy, by what everybody else likes, by what seems to be right because everybody is doing it or because everybody is thinking that way. Peter is saying, don't get intoxicated. Stay sober in your thinking. And he says, do this by not being conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Back before God changed you, you were ignorance of what is good and what is right and what really is important. You're not ignorant anymore. So you need to stay sober about what is true, about who you really are. So we set our hope fully by training ourselves to think differently. Paul said that in Romans chapter 12. He said, since God's done all this great stuff for you, don't be conformed to the ways of the world. Be transformed by good behavior. No, by the renewing of your mind. And that's what repentance is. It's a new mind. It's turning away from your old way of thinking and thinking like a new person. And that's really what Peter is saying here. Now, is Peter saying that Christianity is intellectual, is academic, is just a philosophy? You're just supposed to think. It's a, it's a mental thing. It's a heady thing. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Now, Christianity is very philosophical, and, and you can apply your intellect and academics to Christianity for the rest of your life and still be learning and learning and learning and learning until the day you die. But that's not what Peter's saying here. Peter is saying you focus on your new identity, the renewing of your mind, learning, training yourself how to think differently. That's focusing on your new identity, remembering the indicative the Apostle Paul did this again and again in his letters. One of my favorite passages, it actually changed my life. Colossians chapter 3, the beginning. We'll just sum it, summarize it here. But at one point, Paul said, if then, and that's like saying therefore. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He went on to say, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? Paul goes on to say, for you have died. That's the old you. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? And then he, he goes on and talks about the same things Peter's talking about. All these old ways, these old habits, these old practices. Paul said, put them to death. The old self with its practices. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You see how the indicative and the imperative 
are, are, are woven together here. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And Paul goes on to describe the new life, the new ways of the new you. C.S. Lewis wrote this children's book called The Silver Chair. It's part of the Narnia Chronicles. Uh, the Silver Chair isn't a, one of the well-known Narnia books, but I think it's, it's one of the strongest. It's a great story. And the, this, this little girl named Jill Pole, she finds herself in Narnia. Aslan takes her out of her world and brings her into another world, brings her into Narnia where, where she doesn't belong. She's out of place there. It's not her world. And Jill Pohl, Aslan, the great lion, introduces himself to Jill Pohl. And she's very scared at first. And Aslan says to Jill, basically, you're here. I've brought you out of your world into this world for a purpose. I have a mission for you. And you need to, if you're going to succeed in this mission, you've got to follow the signs. You've got to follow my instructions. And at one point, Jill is not sure that she's willing to trust this great lion. But the lion says there's really no other choice. Trusting me is the only way forward here. You can't do it on your own. You need me. And, and Aslan says you're going to be tempted during your journey to ignore the signs. You're going to be tempted by what you see and what the circumstances are to forget what I've told you. But you've got to remember. And so Aslan begins helping her to memorize the signs, to remember them, to get them in her head so that she won't forget them. And I just want to read you a very small passage. This is what Aslan says to Jill before, her, before he sends her off on her mission in Narnia. Remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. The Christian, though you're in exile has the Spirit of God in you and the Word of God with you and the people of God all around you and signs like the sacraments, like baptism, like communion, the Lord's Supper, always encouraging you to remember who you are. The signs in the Bible are not just rules. They're not just principles. They're reminders of who God says you are. You can't revert back 
to deadly habits on this journey. On a journey in an unfamiliar place, you cannot revert back to the ways of survival that you simply know because of what you've gone through in your life. You have to trust God with the indicative. You have to follow the signs. Moving forward, you must develop the habits that Jesus equips you with. You have to turn from your old ways of the old you to repentance. This word repentance keeps coming up. Repentance in the Old Testament to the old Hebrews, it meant to turn around, to turn away from the old way of walking and walk in a new direction. In the New Testament with the Greek writers, repentance means to change your mind, to begin to think about yourself and God and the world in which you live in a new way. That's what repentance is. Turning away, putting off the old you with the old habits and putting on The new you, who God says you are, what God has done for you, and the habits that that entails. Because we still are tempted to conform to the old ways, right? Back when we were ignorant, Peter says, back back when we didn't know who God was and what he was doing and who we truly were, we're tempted to revert back to our ways when we were ignorant, those old survival practices, as though God's not done anything. And Jack Miller used to say that we do this in basically two ways. We either resign ourselves or we resolve ourselves. We either either live a life of resignation or resolution. Let me explain what, what he meant by that. Resignation is you see God's holiness and it blows you away and it scares you. Or it offends you or intimidates you or repulses you. And you say, I can't match God's holiness. I can't be holy like God is. I'm just going to give up trying. I'm just going to forget it. He's holy. I'm not. Forget it. I'm reverting back to what's easy. I'm reverting back to what I know. I'm reverting back to what's safe, even if it's ugly, even if it's dangerous, even if it's horrible and bad for me, it's safer And I'm reverting back to that because I can't do what God's asking me to do. The Bible calls this license. It's saying I'm going to live the way I want because I can't live up to what God wants. And in Aslan's language, this is living without the signs. It's abandoning the signs because you know you're not good enough. Now, there's also resolution. And it's no better. It looks prettier. It looks more holy. It looks more religious and well-behaved. But it's just as wicked, the Bible says. Resolution is this. You see God's holiness and you say, I have to find a way to be holy like that. I've got to find a way that God will be pleased with me, that others will be pleased with me, that I'll live the right life, that I'll look good, and people will want to be like me. Resolution is resolving to be holy in your own strength. Resolving to be holy by following the rules. Making the signs more important than the sign giver. Forgetting the one who gave you the signs of who you truly are and just focusing on the signs themselves and your ability to adhere to the signs. So that you say, look at what a great traveler I am. I can follow the signs. I never get lost. You get lost 
some traveler you are, and you begin to get prideful and puff yourself up because other people can't follow the signs as well as you can. This is adherence to the signs, but the Bible calls it legalism. There's license, which is deadly. It'll get you killed because you abandon, you abandon holiness and you abandon God's way. But, but there's legalism, and that will get you killed too. Because at the end of your journey, you're going to say, God, look at how great I was. And God's going to say, your greatness doesn't even come close to what I demand of you. You didn't trust in my holiness. You trusted in your own. So we resign ourselves away from God's law and his holiness, or we resolve ourselves to try and keep God's holiness in our own strength. But either way, the Bible says, that's the old you. Maybe you're very religious, but the Bible says you're prideful about your religion. That's the old you that should have died with Christ on the cross. You're proud about the fact that you're free, that you don't follow rules, that God and nobody has anything on you, that you're a free person and you're so sophisticated in your freedom. The Bible says that you should have died with Jesus on the cross. Peter's, when you look at what Peter's saying, living that way, you're living as though Jesus didn't do anything for you. You're living as though Jesus didn't accomplishing anything. You're acting like the old self. Now, the only way forward, the only way forward is redemption. Jill Pohl is thirsty, and there's a stream, and Aslan is lying next to the stream, and Jill says, hey, I'm thirsty. This is a paraphrase. Jill says, I'm thirsty, and Aslan says, well, child, come and drink. And Jill says, well, if I come to drink, will you promise not to eat, to devour me, to eat me up? Because I'm kind of scared, and Aslan said, I make no promise. And she goes, but I'm thirsty. He says, this is the only stream. There's no other stream. So if you're going to drink, you have to come and drink. But I'm, af I'm afraid. And he says, well, then you will die of thirst. There's only one way. To avoid resignation and to avoid resolution, we have to focus on redemption. That's the only way forward. Your new identity, according to Peter, isn't based on your own perfection or your lack of your inability to be perfect. Your new identity is based on Christ's perfection. If you read verse 18, Peter says, you have not been ransomed. You haven't been rescued by this perishable stuff that the world and its people and its ideas are made of. You were ransomed, you were redeemed, you were bought from your old ways leading to death by something precious, by the blood of Christ. And Peter calls him a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed from the old self with its old ways in an old, dying, decaying world with a precious currency, the blood of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 5, John saw this vision of all the hosts of eternity worshiping Jesus, the Lamb of God. 
And they all sang this song to Jesus. Worthy are you. They said, worthy are you for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. It's comforting to know that Jesus, that his perfection has already satisfied God's commands. That's the key to holiness. You're not holy because of how good you behave. You're holy because of how Jesus behaved. You're holy because the blood of Jesus bought you back into the family of your creator. It's Jesus's holiness. It's Jesus's perfection without spot, without blemish that has redeemed you. That's where holiness comes from. So for you, holiness means that you act like somebody that belongs to Jesus. It's not about legalism. It's not about following the rules. It's about being the person that you were redeemed to be. By a God who is holy, who is perfect, who has set you apart. Holiness means being set apart for God's own purposes. So holy in this world means you act like the child that you are. In the family of your adopted father who loves you. So Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear. That means reverence. Conduct yourselves with fear during your exile here. That's the imperative. The indicative that it's based upon is Jesus died for you. His blood has redeemed you. And God the Father has adopted you. So act different. Act different here because you are different. That's holiness. We can't revert back to deadly habits on this journey, friends. We need each other. We really need each other on this journey. And the world needs us. The world needs you. The people in your community need you. You cannot revert back to the old ways. It is simply not who you are anymore. So moving forward, let's trust that Christ's holiness has secured our own. And let's begin to develop new habits. What are those habits? Peter chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. We'll start looking at the specific habits in the next couple of weeks. And that's the way of redeemed exiles. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our holiness does not depend upon our behavior. But it's based on what Jesus has done and who he is. Thank you for the power of his death and resurrection that has brought us back from our old ways. Help us now to remember who we are because of Jesus. Help us to put off the old self, to put on the new self. Help us to change. Help us to be a blessing while we're here. And help us to believe that you have put us here in a place that is not our own for a purpose. And open our eyes to what that purpose is and what to these new ways are as we continue to look at Peter's words in the next month. For Christ's sake, we love you and praise you for this redemption, for your holiness. Amen.